Ephesians chapter 2. And you got to imagine that um, being born in New York City to an Italian home, um, we had our bigotry growing up, our racism. Um, we grew up in a unique kind of family, and, and, and everyone in, in some sense deals with certain things. But it really didn't come forth in my life until uh, I went to school in Alabama. Now, if any of you have been down the South, you know that racism reigns in the South. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, imagine this. I'm an 18-year-old kid. I got muscles like I do right now. I'm ripped to shreds. And uh, not one amen, but, you know, I'm an 18-year-old and I need a haircut. This is when I had more hair than I have now. And I needed a haircut. And me and my friend, who is a Caucasian, he's a white guy, so we're, we walk into this uh, barbershop, and it's a black barbershop. Now, I've never been in a black barbershop before. I never knew that they even, yeah, I'm from New York City. I mean, you know, they in Florida, I never, you never saw those. So we walk in, and we think, well, we're, wait, we're in a African. American barbershop should be fine, right? They, you know, we can get a haircut all here. So actually, we were a little nervous. So we walked out for a moment and said, so what should we do? Should we go back in? Should we get a haircut there? I'm like, yeah, why not? Just go get a haircut. We go to walk back in. They locked the door on us. They wouldn't let us in. And we thought, how racist. <laughs> how racist. Why wouldn't they let us in? Yet, we were the racist ones. It didn't hit me more living in Alabama to realize when I walked in the cafeteria to eat, there was a white section and a black section. Not by law, but by choice. This is 1993. By choice. They were eating on one side and eating on the other side. I found out that the majority of them went to a school with the same color, and this is the first time they were ever together was in college. Wow, welcome to that. I didn't realize until, until my time in Alabama that there was a white dorm and a black dorm. I mean, this was crazy to think about. And uh, what happens? I get saved. The guy that led me to the Lord, he had a heart for souls. What does he do? He moves into the black dorm to win people to Christ. So guess what I did? We moved in together. We're the only two in there. Yeah, I mean, this is amazing. They all thought I was a cop. Every time I walked in, here comes 5-0. 5, -0. 5 -0, get out of here. 5 going to rest us. I don't know what it was. Racism. Amazing what it was. We've lived it. We've lived bigotry. Now, fast forward to 2021 and 2020, the world that we are living in right now. It is amazing. In fact, let's look at some of the things that, that, that are, are divide our society right now. One of the main things right now is race. And, and many, many of you know this, but the, uh, the organization Black Lives Matters didn't start just recently. This has been going on for a long time, since 2013. But many people haven't heard of it, but it, it's come out now. Do you know that it's interesting about this, uh, this very organization that 67% of the 
of Americans, of adult Americans, agreed with it. All right, think about that. Now it's down to 55%. 67% agreed. 15 to 26 million people were joining that organization. And, and just amazing what has gone on. Um, and that has that helped racism or has it hurt racism? It has hurt racism. Now the country is divided more than ever than it has been on, on, on those issues. And here's another thing. Politics has divided us. You know, praise God, we live in America. We only have two choices, really, either you're Republican or Democrat. How would you like to live in Peru where they have 20 choices? Isn't that incredible? Or Argentina, I think it was one year they had 71 or 72 candidates with different parties. I mean, how do you vote that? I mean, what do you know? Can you imagine the church? What are you? Well, I'm of this, I'm of that. I mean, 72 different ways they're going. At least, in, at least in ours, we can just fight over two ways. You know, what are you, a Republican or a Democrat? All right, well, are you Republican or are you saved? All right, let's go on here. All right, politics. Gender has been dividing, dividing us nowadays with this gender equality going on in the world right now. And nobody wants to be looked down upon for being a certain gender. And all these things are starting to come about. Religion. I, I get a kick out of when people come here because they go, you're a community church. Yeah, we are a community church. We believe in community and we praise the Lord that we believe in, uh, in, in having, uh, uh, fellowship with one another and we are a community. And then, and then people say, okay, that's great, but, but don't forget, we're a Bible church. What does that mean? We believe in the Bible. <laughs> we preach the Bible. This is not a social club. This is a place where we preach Jesus Christ, the only way to salvation. We preach that he died for our sins, was buried and rose again. We're not getting together because we love snow. We're getting together because we love Jesus. There's a difference there. So people forget that part. They're like, oh, community church. I can go there and just be anything I want. No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Preach the Bible here. Don't forget that part. And so it's a community Bible church. I, I joke around. I say we're non-denominational. We can't make up our minds. But anyway, you know, religion Religion messes people up. It, it, it divides people. And then if that isn't enough, then you have the socioeconomic status that really divides people up. And let me just tell you this. In, in, in the way we're going in America, we're, we're heading where Argentina is. The, the poor are going to get poorer. The rich are going to get richer. And the middle class is just not going to exist anymore. They're going to be changed to what's called working class. You know what working class means? Working class means you make it to the end of the month and that's it. You have enough money to make it to the end of the month. That's Argentina. There's the very, very rich. You're like, wow, unbelievable. And then there's the poor, poor, like unbelievable. And then there's what they call, there is no middle, working class that just make it to the end of the month and they're happy they made it to the end of the month. That's where we're going. And it divides a nation. It divides, divides a, a, a people and it divides churches as well. This is nothing compared to the division that there was in the Bible. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 because there is a tremendous division here and I want to help us to overcome these barriers because we all fight these barriers in our lives. We all were raised a certain way. We all believe certain things. So how do we overcome these? But if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, you'll notice something. There was a great division in the Bible. 
that started with Abraham. Do you remember what happened? Abraham, God calls Abraham, and then he tells Abraham that I need you to have a sign. And the sign is what? Remember the sign? So that's what it says, circumcision. And so God made a nation out of Abraham, and the Jewish people came out of Abraham, and Israel came out of Abraham. And this wasn't so that they could boast or look down on people or make fun of people. It was supposed that they would be a blessing to other people. But here's what happened. They became, they had this physical sign, this, this circumcision, physical sign made by human hands, as we see here in verse 11, this physical sign. And all of a sudden they thought, wow, we are superior to everyone and everyone else is a dog. They called Gentiles dogs. Imagine that. And there was a rift in the world between who? The circumcised and the uncircumcised. A tremendous rift. And the circumcised believe God is on my side. God is on my side. And he was. And the uncircumcised believe, well, you know what? We got our own gods. We live after our own gods. We can care less. We don't want to be a part of those people. And so there was a great divide. Look at this, what he says here in verse 11. He says, I want you to remember. The New Living Translation starts off and says, don't forget this. Don't forget who you were. That formerly you, and notice what you were, the Gentiles in the flesh. Anybody here Jewish? Anybody have a Jewish background? So we're all, Brian is semi-Jewish, but we're all what? Gentiles. So we can relate to this. We are Gentiles in the flesh. So what he's going to say here in a moment is interesting. That not only were we dead, disobedient, and doomed like all humanity... We were Gentiles, which means what? We're going to see it in a second here. These Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the, and I like how he puts this, the so-called circumcision. You know why he's saying that? Because even though they had the physical sign of circumcision, they didn't circumcise their hearts. They didn't have the spiritual circumcision that God wanted. And he says here, it's not about the hands, it's about the heart. But I want you to remember so you can overcome this bigotry in your life. I want you to remember who you were. Notice who you were in verse 12. He's going to mention five things here in verse 12. He says, here's who you were as Gentiles. So you were dead, you were, you were disobedient, you were doomed. But remember this as Gentiles, who you were in the world. Notice this in verse 12. You were separate from who? From Christ. Now, let me tell you something. The Ephesians had many gods. They had many, and they worshiped the goddess Diana. But who cares how many gods somebody has? If they don't have Christ, they're not saved. They're separate from who? From Christ. They don't have a relationship with the Messiah. They are not part of the Messiah. Remember the Jewish people could say salvation comes from who? The Jews. The Messiah comes from the Jews. And the Messiah came for the Jews. And yet, as a Gentile, they were separate from that. The Messiah didn't come for the Gentile. The Messiah didn't come from them. And so they're, they're separate from Christ. They're separate. They're cut off from the very Messiah. Notice the next thing here. They're excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. They're without citizenship. And, and here, here's where we miss it sometimes as Americans. If I could say this for a second, and I want to be careful here. 
I'm thankful that there's less people here. I can be more free. You, know, you got to be careful. You know what I mean? They may beat you up at the end here, but now you can be a little bit. But let me, let me tell you something. Before I came to this church, they asked me a question. They said, do you believe in replacement theology? Ever hear that? Where they say, do you believe that the church has replaced Israel? And the answer is no. no absolutely not. But here's what happens in America. There's American Christians who believe America has replaced Israel. That God is American. I mean, we chuckle, but we hear sermons. If my people just humble themselves and pray, God will bless America again. That has nothing to do with America. That was to Israel. That was to them. That was to their land talking to them. And yet we make God an American. I mean, how arrogant is that? That means God's only 250 years. I mean, how, you know, how can we say that? And yet we make God to be out. And, and we got to understand something. As Gentiles, we have no part of the nation of Israel. We are excluded from their citizenship. We, have, we don't have the privileges and rights. That's why I love the story of Ruth. Because you know what Ruth said to Naomi? She didn't say, okay, I want your God to be my God. She said that. But she said something just before she said, I want your God to be my God. She says, I want your people to be my people. In other words, I want to be a part of that nation. Praise God. That today to be saved, we don't have to be part of Israel to be saved. But we're without citizenship. We're without Christ as Gentiles. We are strangers to the covenants of promise. God made a promise. You study the covenants out in the Old Testament. They were unbelievable. He made a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to go. I know that you're older, but I want you to go. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to spiritually bless you. And we can see that all throughout the New Testament and in the Old Testament. What does God do? God promised them the land. God promised them a king through David. And God promised them spiritual blessings through the New Covenant. The covenants were given to who? To Israel. Guess how many covenants were given to the Gentiles in the Old Testament? Take a guess. Zippo. Zero. So we're strangers. Covenant to Abraham? Notice this. Having no hope. Let me tell you, when you're separate from Christ and you're not part of their nation and you are a stranger to the covenants of God, you have no hope in this world. And what he is saying here is that we just have hope that is in this present world right now. And, and let, me, let me tell you this, that one thing last year taught us is how many people in this world are living without hope. COVID has shown that. They are scared to die. Why? There's no hope. They're scared. And not only that, is there no hope? I'm amazed that even after, after something happened in November, I don't want to mention what it was, but something happened in November, all of a sudden, now we have no hope. Wait a minute, we still have hope. <laughs> don't forget that. Amen. We don't live without hope. I was reading a story about a young boy who died and somebody came up to the father and says, well, at least you got memories. He goes, wait a minute, I got more than memories. I got hope that I'm going to see my son again. How can you just say memories? And yet they're living without hope. They have no hope. And then notice this next thing. We are without what? God in the world. 
Because here's all the gods that they have, the false gods and the false religion, and they're trying to go after God and trying to do, do God their own way and think that people say, you know what, you just serve God any way you want and he'll accept you. No, that's not true. We need to accept God through what? Through Jesus Christ. And they're without God in the world. So, so what happens to the Gentiles? They're, they, they're without Christ. They're without citizenship. They're, 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 they're without the covenants. They have no hope. They're without God. That was us. That was me. Let me show you something I used to wear as a kid. You ever see these things? Scapulars. You know what it says on there? And I wore them on my neck. It says, if you die with these on your neck, you won't go to hell. I'll never forget when I got saved. And they came off my neck because I don't need those things anymore. And my father, I bring him into my father's room. And I said, Dad, I said, look at this. I said, these things say if you wear them, when you die, you're going to heaven. You don't have to worry about anything. All you need to do is have these on, on your neck. And I was waiting for his response. You know what his response was? Oh, really, Jeremy? Give them to me. He took them and he put them on his neck. Wow. How sad is that? But yet people trust in stuff like this. Without hope, without God. He says, remember who you were. Don't forget, don't think that you were born in a certain place, that you're blessed. Remember who you are as a Gentile. Not only were you dead, were you doomed, were you disobedient and doomed, not only were you all those things, but you were cut off from the very line. That you deserved the pit of hell. And the things that we trusted in before Christ were amazing. So that helps me to have compassion on people. We need not to forget where we came from. You know, I almost forgot I wore these things. And then I was looking through them, I was like, yeah, I wore exactly that, I wore that. That was around my neck. Now I'm a pastor. I mean, that is crazy. It was around my neck. If you would have saw me as a teenager, it was, that's what I trusted in for Christ, to get, to get to heaven. That's what I trusted in. A, a necklace rather than Christ. He says, don't you forget that. Don't you forget that. And not only that, we, you need to reflect on what Christ has done. This is beautiful. That All those things we were, but let's go quickly through this. Look what Jesus Christ has done for us to bring us together, to break down the walls. The first thing he has done is he has shed his blood. Now, some people talk about the blood of Jesus and they say, wow, Jesus Christ shed his blood so I can have forgiveness of sins. But they miss this. Jesus shed his blood not only to give us forgiveness of sins, but that so that we could be together as a family of God. He has brought us near to one another through the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at this. But now, I like that. You know, the but God, but now you have in verse 13. But now, but now, this is who you were. But now, in Christ Jesus. The moment we get saved, all those things change. All of them. We are in Christ Jesus now. We were formerly what? Away, far off. But now we've been brought near by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. Jesus Christ shed his blood so that we could have relationships with one another. Amen. Think about that for a moment. Every time we're tempted to be racist, every time we're tempted to look at down on somebody for their political, every time we're tempted to look at them for whatever it may be, 
His blood was shed to bring us together. His, he, we were brought near by the blood of Christ. Look at this in verse in, in Hebrews 9.14. How much more with the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood gives us forgiveness and the blood cleanses our conscience so that we can serve God with all our heart, soul, and minds. And, and, and the walls of bigotry come down. But look what else he has done. Look at this. In, in, in verse 14, he broke down the barrier. I, I love this. For he himself, it's emphatic here in the Greek, he himself is what? Our peace. Where does peace come from? It's funny. I put this on Facebook, how we can have peace. And somebody wrote, wait a minute, Jesus didn't come for peace. He came to bring a sword. He came to get father against mother. And they used that verse. They missed the context of that verse. Jesus came to bring what? Peace. First of all, inner peace. Peace with God. How do we have that? Only through Jesus Christ. People say, I just want to have peace. I just want peace with God. You got to come to Christ. He is peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. Right here in the verse. He himself, I love how the Greeks make it emphatic. He himself is our peace. So you don't miss it. But what did he do? It says here he made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. There is a wall up. What was the wall? Well, it wasn't the Berlin Wall. Which was interesting. I was actually studying a little bit about the Berlin Wall and it, and how there was a, a family actually standing right next to the top of the wall. We was hoisted up, got them, and was talking to their relative. Can you imagine that? Talking to your relatives on one side of the wall, you being on this side. Of, how would you live like? I mean, just amazing. I know Pastor Kaiser is right She's from Germany. I got to be careful with it. But you know the Berlin Wall. And then when it came down, because somebody said, "You remember who it was." Tear down that wall. Who was that? Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Get it down. Why is it up? Get it down. The wall symbolized not only separation politically, but, but also physically and spiritually. It was a wall that divided the people. That wall isn't the wall that he's talking about here. He's talking about a different wall. It's called the what? Look at the next verse. He tells you what the wall is. The wall is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Now, many people say, oh, I'd like to live in the Old Testament, be back then and live. Oh, would you? Would you? Do you want 613 commands that regulated everything that you did? We know it broke down into three categories, but it's all one law. The moral law, the Ten Commandments that we have, the civil law that told people how to treat one another, the ceremonial law, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, the things that you could do, the religious things that they had to do. I mean, they were regulated in the court. Do you want that? And yet, the law, what it did is it divided the Jewish person from the Gentile. So, so the Gentile could eat something and the Jews were like, you can't eat that. Our law says you can't eat that. Or the Gentile would, would, would approach his God a different way and he said, you can't do that. Our law said, and it divided them. Here's what Jesus did. He came down. He died on the cross. And notice what it says on verse 15. He abolished in his flesh the enmity. 
The word abolish means he nullified. This doesn't mean that we're not under moral law. We are. But the moral law is even harder than the law found in the Old Testament because the Old Testament you couldn't kill. Now under Jesus you can't even get mad. That makes me mad, by the way. Yeah. Under the Old Testament law, you couldn't commit adultery. Now in the New Testament law, what? You can't even look to lust. There's moral law. You better believe there's moral law. But we don't relate to God through the Mosaic law. And yet there's believers who go behind in the Old Testament and they say, oh yeah, I got to relate to God this way and I got to do all these things and read some of those laws. You can't put a goat in its mother's milk and stuff like that. And you're like, wait a minute here. You can't eat this. You got to dress this way. And you got to tattoo. You're in sin. You got, you know, your women with pants. You're going to, we're going to stone them outside. We'll go down the list. Right? We don't relate to God through the Mosaic law. We relate to God through grace, New Testament, through Jesus Christ. And here's what he did, which is amazing. He took that Old Testament law, nailed it to the cross with him. He abolished it, nullified that. He took it out so that, why? Verse 15. He himself, here it is emphatic again, might make the two, the Jew and the Gentile, into one new man. And what's that new man called? The church. Wow. Where nothing matters when you come to Christ. Your race does not matter. Your socioeconomic status does not matter. All those things that matter to people, that doesn't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. We are all one in Jesus Christ. The church. He took that and took Jewish people and Gentile people. And what he did is he made one new man. The church. And he established peace. Now watch this. This is where this gets fun. This is why I love the original language. Look at this in verse 16. That he might what? Reconcile. Okay, we just look at that word reconcile. We say, yeah, that's beautiful. But study it in the Greek. It's got a compound word. You know what the word is there? We have been super reconciled. <laughs> Figure that one out. We have been super duper reconciled. I don't even know how to make this out of English. I mean, it's a word that we normally don't use. We have been super reconciled. He's taken these, the, the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people, he's taken the Gentiles and he brought them together in one church, the body, and he has super reconciled us, not only to God, but to each other. Wow. He's super reconciled. He's made us, he's brought us back that in what? One body to God through the cross. By having it put to death, what? The enmity. Law's gone. It's gone. You say, how in the world has Jesus done this? And the next verse tells us. He preached what? Peace. When Jesus was around poor people in the Gospels, he didn't just give them bread. He gave them what? The gospel. When Jesus was around rich people in the Bible, he didn't just condemn them. He gave them what? The gospel. Gave them the gospel. He preached peace. When Jesus was around men, guess what he gave them? The gospel. When Jesus was around women, guess what he gave them? The gospel. He preached peace to everyone that came in his path. 
He preached peace to those who were the religious people. What did he do to the Pharisees? He gave them what? The gospel. He preached peace to those who were near and he preached peace to those who were far away. It didn't matter if you were religious or, or you were non-religious. They were both lost. He preached peace to both of them. He preached the gospel. Somebody says, yeah, he reconciled us, but how come we don't get along? What's the, what's the key? We must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. We want peace in this world? Let's preach the gospel. That's what he did. He's the Prince of Peace who preached peace. You say, Jeremy, we live in reality here. Relationships break down. Bigotry is hard to overcome. I mean, I was raised in it. I grew up in it. This is the way so-and-so taught me. I need help. <laughs> That's why the next verse tells us how to get that help. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to who? To the Father. We pray now to God the Father through Jesus Christ. You say, why is, why is Paul mentioning prayer here? Here's why. Because we live in a world that even though Christ came and shed his blood that we would be together, we still live separate lives. In fact, the apostle Peter, after he gets saved, did he love Gentiles? <laughs> in fact, I love what God did to him. He trained them right. He said, Peter... You need to love Gentiles. And you know who you're going to start with? The Italians. Amen? You're going to go to Cornelius' house. I love it. Because if you can love us, you can love any Gentile out there. Amen? It started with it. Come on. I mean, I'm being biblical here. I mean, go to Cornelius' house. Eat a little lasagna, a little pasta. Forget about it. Make sure you want a meatball too. Eat that too. Don't worry about it. No, I'm not going in. I'm not going to. No, you go to his house. And God, with Cornelius, led all that. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my great uncle Cornelius. Cornelius started it all. And by God's grace, we got all the other Gentiles now in the church. Started with an Italian. God knows what he's doing. But let me tell you something. What did Peter have to do? He had to pray. He had to give. We, we need prayer. And here's the wonderful thing. Through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, we have access to a holy father. That's an amazing thought. And we come to him in prayer and say, God, help me. I'm so tempted to be a bigot. I'm so tempted to look at the outward appearance. I'm so tempted to think of him in a certain way. God, help me to realize that you shed your blood so that we wouldn't live like that. Prayer, because we need prayer. And we have access through the Father. So, so how can we cultivate this in our lives? Here's how. We need to change how we think about other people. I, I thank the Lord that my, my, my kids weren't, didn't experience some of the things that I did and the prejudgments they had growing up. I, I praise God for that. I really do. I, I was brought to tears one time when we were in Texas and we went into a pool and there was another race there um, swimming in the pool and I noticed it because I grew up with that to notice that and we're swimming and we come back and Katie asked one of the kids so was it were you in the pool by yourselves no no there was another family there 
and um, and nice family. My, my my son said, didn't notice their race at all. Didn't even notice who they are. I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord. We need that. We don't need to be looking at these outward things. We need to change the way we look at people and make those judgments. We not only need to do that, we need to learn to forgive. We're going to live a life of harmony with one another. we got to release because guess what happens in relationships? We step on each other's toes. We, we offend each other, but we need to release just like Jesus released our sins. We need to release sins from other people. And then what we really need to do each day of our lives, we need to remember Jesus' people unifying work on the cross. He shed his blood so that we can come to a place and worship God together, no matter what race, no matter what gender, no matter how rich or poor you are, and serve the same God together. I love that. We can care less here how much money you have. We can care less what gender you are. We can care less what race you are. It's not about that. Well, I should say this. I do care. If you're Italian, please tell me because I enjoy that. But you know, but we care. It doesn't matter. What we do care about here is if you know Jesus Christ or not. That's what matters. Because he's the, our peace. And he preached peace so that we would live in peace with one another. So may this be a safe ground for those who come here. And no matter what they are, we accept them in Christ because that's what we want for them. And I can't think of any other text to get us ready for communion. As we search our hearts right now and ask God.